think you still need a human validating some of those decisions. Uh, but being able to augment our abilities with that data and some of these new automation technologies that are coming out will help us make better design decisions faster. Right now, the biggest challenge that we have is if we want to make a change to a system or a part of a system, we have to do all of this work, get something to the point that we can test, and then wait for a number of months or weeks or months to get enough data to know whether or not we, we, we've created the right solution. If there are better ways to leverage automated generative design and then automate some of that using a human to validate and to create this framework and then get faster real-time data or real-ish time to make better micro-adjustments to an experience, I think the better off we'll be as designers. Welcome to Design Drives, your audio experience about what, how, and why design drives things forward. A podcast hosted by Sebastian Gear, together with forward-thinking design practitioners from around the world. In this episode, during the UX India conference in Hyderabad, I speak to Bermond Painter, who is an innovation and strategy lead at Ernst Young in Charlotte, North Carolina. In his work, he links tech, business and design and shares interesting insights on leading design teams and the process and differences becoming a design manager. We touch on the importance of knowing the why in your design process and share that understanding across the team. Further, we also touch on the process of innovation when it comes to prototyping and rethinking businesses and using design as a methodology. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Hi, Bermond. How are you doing? Doing well, doing well. Here hanging out at UX India. Yeah, awesome. So I'm, I'm pretty excited to, to talk to you about uh, your background and some of the things you were doing to your career and how you now apply design in different different areas. So I'm super excited. So it would be great for the audience so they get, get a little bit of context about you know, your background, where you, where you come from, why you actually got into design in the first place. So maybe you can start all the way back. Sure, sure. We, we can go back in time a little bit. Probably about 20, 20 plus years ago. So mid to late 90s is kind of when I started in high school. Uh, so I ended up looking out and, and getting a job as a graphic designer for a very small print company. So we did uh, business cards, church directories, because it's, I'm from the South in the United States. So there are churches everywhere. Mm-hmm. So every church had their own directory with, with names and numbers and, and pictures and things like that. And then the, the core business model for this, this small print company was to go to uh, what you'd call a mom and pop restaurant, like a very small local restaurant. And, and the pitch was, we'll design and print some menus for free if you let us put advertising on the menus. So they had a, an advertise like a Google AdWords model, uh-huh. but for restaurants and menus on vinyl print. So we would design the ads and then we would design the menus and then we would deliver free menus for them. So we had a really old Heidelberg press mm-hmm. and used to print four color on those. Very excited when we got that. Before that, we would do metal plates and do one color on vinyl. So it was typically oh. white vinyl type ink on uh, like these burgundy green and blue menus. It was, it was awful looking. Mm-hmm. And then eventually the web became a thing. So I built an internal website for them to manage all the documentation. I guess we call those an intranet now. It was very terrible. It was on a Windows NT server, a lot of iframes. 
and then uh, eventually moved over to a company where I could do more public-facing web design. So I was in like a graphic designer, web designer hybrid role. So they did uh, medical transcription and medical coding training. So they had a training platform or training application, and they would train coders and transcriptions in the medical field. Uh, so we, we designed and built that platform. And then eventually I, I transitioned over into full product and service design for a number of years. Moved to Charlotte, North Carolina, worked for a handful of NASCAR companies, building NASCAR companies. Yeah, NASCAR yeah, companies yeah. of all things. Not a huge NASCAR fan. Learned a lot about the drivers and so how where everything did you worked. Work on for NASCAR? Uh, so this was uh, NASCAR Illustrated. So they had uh, a newspaper print and a glossy print magazine. And then they have a web property that I managed called Scene Daily. It no longer exists. Uh, I think they were acquired somewhere else. So we, we built their all of their products, and it was a new group for them. The company wanted to have a very specialized team. So there were four of us total managing this entire platform and product. So there was the, the news website that had all the NASCAR news you could think of. And then because we, we wanted to build stuff, we built a, a NASCAR-centric social media network. This was right around the time that Facebook came out. Yeah. So uh, getting in competition with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so all of these NASCAR fans could join our Scene Daily social network. Uh, this is probably 2008. Uh-huh. And then we built uh, like an online classified from scratch and like an online store from scratch. And we built our own CMS from scratch. I never recommend doing that. It, it, it is the biggest pain I've ever done in my life. Then we try to connect it all together under a single sign-on. And it's a bunch of like mid-20s people trying to build you know, four or five different products under one NASCAR-specific platform. So we did that about three and a half, four years. Uh, a lot of fun. Had a blast. And then moved before, over. Before that, you graduated? Or what did you do? Uh, so I, I went to school for computer science. Uh-huh. Graphic design and then computer science. Never. So I got denied the graphic design program oh, wow. of all things. And it okay. was... It was interesting at the time because I was I started in computer science. I figured I've already been doing graphic design. I'm not sure what I'm going to learn in college about it. I'm already getting paid to do that work. Yeah. So I enjoy the technical side of of the work. So I did computer science for a number of years. Decided I didn't enjoy that. The, the program that we started started in assembly, uh, which is very low level programming language. Then we moved to C. And then we moved to Java. Java killed it. I dropped out of the CS program. Was it too dry or what was it? Really it was, I don't know. I, did, I didn't enjoy having to programmatically create an interface like that. My, my mind was so stuck in the HTML space. Uh-huh. Uh, Java, you, maybe you had to uh, yeah. come more from a visual perspective as well. I'm very see. visual yeah. on, on how I program things. So I dropped out, went to information systems. It was very Microsoft heavy. Yeah. Uh, so I dropped out of that and then decided, oh, I should go to business school. I go to business school. Uh, was there a semester and like, no, th- these are not my people. Okay. Uh, can't do business school. So I applied for the graphic design program, pulled together a portfolio. They had us do the portfolio on on, on like slides, like old school slides. Uh-huh. It's like the, this cardboard printout with this this window. And they would put it in a slide projector that you would click and it would show through. Wow. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, and, and they, they rejected my portfolio and wouldn't let me in the program. So then I just gave up. I moved to Charlotte. Uh-huh. So I, I didn't actually graduate high, or university. So I'm going back to finish because why not? Uh, I want to get an MBA. I'm going to do the business thing again and, and see how that goes. But it was a weird transition uh, in that by the time I started college, 
I'd already been working as a graphic designer for two or three years from high school. And then by the time I finished college or, or left college, I had you know, seven or eight years of, of like real world experience in the industry and was already making a decent salary. So it was it was probably an uncommon way or uncommon path, I guess, to get into graphic design and then get into web. And then I got into consulting and I've been doing that for the last seven or eight years. Mm-hmm. So can you talk a little, so like you started, didn't start at AA directly, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, there was some gap between when you moved to Charlotte, you did the MBA, right? Haven't done the MBA yet. You didn't do the MBA, but then you still directly started uh, as a young? Or? Yeah, so when... So what's the answer? Just, I've probably worked at eight or nine different companies since I've been oh, in Charlotte. Okay. for the, Yeah, so it's been a long past. So it was... A lot of, a lot of hands-on experience. Lots of hand-on experience in a bunch of, of different industries. Yeah, a lot of you know, smart companies starting things out, developing yeah. things from scratch, right? Uh, well, a, lot like of, least, right? a lot of building teams from scratch. That, that's kind of been the, the core focus the past 10 or so years. Yeah. So I went from, from the NASCAR company to a bank Worked for a bank for a bit as a developer. I wanted to try that as a full-time focus area for a year and a half, couple of years. Then I went back to a NASCAR-related company. It was an automotive dealership called Hendrick Automotive. And so I was there for, for a little bit, started one of their product teams, mm-hmm. and then went to a company called Speedway Motorsports. They owned a bunch of NASCAR tracks, mm-hmm. managed a lot of their online properties. And then I went to a small consultancy called Cardinal Solutions. So that's where I started one of their UX practices in, in the South region. Mm-hmm. Built that team. I was there. That's the longest time that I've held any job. So I was there for about five years before I got bored. And then I went to Ernst & Young to help grow their digital practice here uh, in, in the Charlotte area. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because you got some insights on like building digital products before, right? In mm-hmm. different locations. So yeah, I think it could, it sort of like makes sense to me, right? Yeah. Building it at Ernst Young. It, it was long, a wide mix. Yeah. How long are you at Ernst Young already? So I've been at, at, at EY now for about a year and a half. Year and a half, right. So still fairly new mm-hmm. uh, to the firm, really enjoying what we're doing there. One of the things that, that convinced me to go over is that they're solving really big problems for, mm-hmm. yeah, for true. big companies. And and we get the chance to work in financial services, healthcare, automotive, manufacturing, mining, any any industry, pretty much you name it, they do work for them. Mm-hmm. So we get the chance to do a lot of that different type of work. And and the, the scope and scale is so much larger. So it's not just building products and services anymore. Because they are so large, we really have the opportunity to affect larger experiences across the, an entire organization. Yeah. So we do a lot of omni-channel work, a lot of what I would call really truly holistic experiences that are both physical locations, digital products, internal experiences for employees, as an example, helping companies build new strategies around potentially new disruptive business models. So it, it's a lot more to keep my brain very happy. I think that's why I've changed jobs so much over mm-hmm. the past 20 some odd years. Is I, I need something different and new and difficult and, and the constant No, you get change. it in one job yeah. sort of, right? Because yeah, exactly. You sort of have to tackle a new problem or a new you know, topic constantly, right? So that, That's yeah. why I think I enjoy working at a consultancy. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Uh, is imagine. you get so many different types of challenges, different industries, different teams, different size and scale. If if I want to do a really quick six week project, I can. If I want to try a larger, twelve to eighteen month transformation, then you can do that too. So you get wide mix of 
all kinds of different challenges. And you were mentioning before we start the episode also that you were doing some you know, talks also on, on leadership and, and hiring. Maybe you can expand on that. For yeah, yeah, I would love to. I mean, one of the, the, the challenges, I guess, is I've designed more interfaces and products than I, like I've done it. Yeah. So I spent the last five or six years focused more on now that I'm managing people and managing larger teams, how can I do that better? How can I be more effective in, in making sure that the people that I hire have a good environment where they can grow, they can mess up. Mm-hmm. And, and that's just part of the work that we do. They learn from those, those mistakes and, and they can get better over time. And the ultimate goal is to help other people grow and to be leaders themselves. So that's been the focus. And there really hasn't been, like, there's not a, like a training or a conference or a, like a guidebook on here's how to be a good manager for designers and digital leaning people. So there was a lot of trial and error for the first two or three years. Uh, made some hiring mistakes, made some leadership mistakes. Because like you don't, you don't know, you're you learning. You learn from, right? Yeah. Uh, so you learn from them, read a lot of books because that seems to be the only place to go. There's not, uh, I haven't found a good network of other leaders because most of my my peers are also just coming into leadership roles. So they're making the same mistakes. Mm-hmm. So over the past number of years, I've had a really good good peer that I worked at in my last job mm-hmm. where we were trying to figure out this leadership thing together. So uh, at least have a sanding board, somebody that I could toss ideas back and forth and, and deal with some of the challenges of managing people. And, and that's something that I don't think most designers really understand is, is they assume that if I want to drive the direction of what we're going to do, I have to be a manager. But they don't understand that being a manager means that you're managing people. It's, uh, a, different, and it's a different game. It right? is. It's totally different. And the more managerial you get, the, the further away you get from actually designing products. Sure, so yeah. I'm not in Photoshop or Sketch or Figma or whatever other Anyone? products exist now. Not, not yeah. as much. I, yeah. I still do it on, on the side for other projects. Yeah. But I'm mostly working with, with people, whether it's clients or stakeholders, internal or external, mm-hmm. or some of our other designers. So the reason I was here at UX India was to do a, a full-day workshop around, around leadership. So how do, you, how do you recruit and hire and interview and assess design talent? And then once you get them into your team, how do you mentor them? How do you do effective one-on-ones? How do you provide feedback and coaching? How do you increase or elevate your ability to communicate as a manager? Because it's a different conversation. You're having business conversations now, people conversations, and it's less about, I made this design decision for this reason. It's somebody on the team needs help, or they screwed up, or there was a success, or that they're going to leave if we don't give them more money or anything like that that are just different challenges. And and the language that you use is, is a little bit different. So, you know, all the way to you, you have a, a somebody that's not performing. How do you deal with them? Mm-hmm. Or you have to let somebody go. How do you how do you fire somebody and have that be a good learning experience and not they come into your office and they're surprised that you're letting them go. They had no idea there were performance issues, but today is their last day. It means you're being a very bad manager yeah. if that happens. So how do you how do you learn all of that and be effective? Uh, specifically, trying to make sure that that the people that you bring onto your team learn and grow and are successful. Mm-hmm. So how many people are in your team? The concept of of my team EDY is very different. 
Yeah. Uh, EY is a very people? flat organization. I got it. So I'm nobody's boss and mm -hmm. I have no boss. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's how the organization is structured. Mm -hmm. You have leadership around projects or engagement. So you, know, you have leadership there. So there, there's like a collective we from a, a senior manager standpoint mm -hmm. where we collectively lead and guide the I want to say that the, the full size of the digital team is probably 400 people, mm -hmm. but that there's collective ownership in making sure that everybody else on the team is being successful. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's a little bit different because it's not a more, it's not a traditional yeah. hierarchical structure. Yeah, yeah. So what would be your difference uh, between a great designer and a great design manager? Oof, that's a really good question. A great designer in my mind is, is probably two things. They have to be very good at engaging in conflict, pushing design direction, but also being able to back up their design decisions with business logic, fully understanding the needs of the user and the needs of the business. What I see a lot of young designers do, and I did this too, I'm sure it was a very annoying designer when I started out uh, <laughs> because it was like, but this is the way that I want it. I want it to be this color and this size with this padding, uh, and I want this box to go there. And if somebody asked me why, I wouldn't have a good answer. Like, well, I'm the designer. That's where I'm going to put it. And that's how I feel most young designers start out. Uh, there's not a lot of, of quantifiable logic behind their design so decisions. Yeah. yeah. So it's, I want it there because that's how I feel it should be. But, but what makes a designer really great is to be able to stand up in front of a room of, of peers or business stakeholders and help them understand that this box is there and that content is set up this way. And you go from step one to step two to step three, because this is going to drive the highest conversion rate. Or we did some research and based off of our employee base, our user base, this is the experience that they're expecting. They're expecting to see this information first and then go to this information and then go to this step in order to increase conversion, to decrease our, our time on task. And it's the most efficient way to get a user from point A to point B. Most designers aren't very good at having those types of conversations because they, they either went to a graphic design school or they just learned on their own and never, never really picked up the, the business lingo. There, there's a really good book that I recommend most young designers read. It's called Articulating Design Decisions, mm -hmm. which, which helps them. Really good book. The, the intent is... They help you put some some logic and, and some business decisions behind your design decisions mm -hmm. and then articulate the, those decisions to people that may not be designers. Mm -hmm. So that that's, yeah. That's the designer side, right? That's the so designer side. How, is it, how about a, a good design manager? A good design manager. Oh, well, in your case, maybe innovation. Uh, yeah, innovation manager. lead, innovation manager has nothing to do with being able to design good interfaces. And... That that's the path in most cases is you end up becoming a very good designer and you're able to help your boss, your boss's boss, or have the perception that you understand the business. And they go, huh, we're going to make you a manager. Congratulations. You're going to now manage the team. And most designers, I feel, are left scratching their head. I know I was. It's like, oh, how do I, what does a manager do? Uh, uh, do I, do I? talk to people or am I just mentoring them to help them be better visual designers? To a certain degree, yes. But once you get into it, you realize that that's a small percentage of what you actually do. What makes a really good design manager 
is somebody that can effectively set up an environment that allows their designers to be successful. Uh, you're, you're the umbrella for all of the business nonsense and the politics and the pain. You want to clean that up yeah. for the team, right? You do. You're, you're protecting the team on all of that nonsense so that they can focus on what they're good at, what they can focus on what they need to focus on, which is having a very user-centered approach, empathizing with their users, empathizing with their stakeholders, and then being able to translate those needs into something valuable. Jared Spool calls it the rendering of intent. So being able to take all of that data information, render the intent, in most cases, a digital interface that they can then take back to the users or back to the stakeholders and validate their design decisions. In order for them to do that well, they don't need to know that you know your boss is unhappy or there are budget constraints or the company's trying to downsize or so-and-so on your team is having personal issues or somebody else has threatened to leave because they want more money or somebody's really struggling somewhere else down the line and you may have to fire them. Like all those things they don't need to know. Uh, so as a manager, you, you, take care of them. Yeah, you have to take care of, of them and give them the environment to be successful. So you're, you're a shield for one. And then in, in some cases, you're also kind of like the psychologist for the team. You're the sounding board. They come to you when there are challenges. They come to you when there are successes. You also have to be a good coach. When they do something amazing, you, you have to recognize that they've done something amazing. Point out what they did and why it worked well and encourage them to continue that behavior. When, when they mess up, you have to be able to go, you know what, you screwed up. Here's, here's why you screwed up and what that caused. Let's talk through how we can try and prevent that in the future. And they should feel like that's a good experience. Mm -hmm. uh, they should walk away from those conversations and go, you know what, my manager really cares about me being successful. Sure, I screwed up, but I have a plan and I can get better and I can improve. And then the, the last thing that, that, that makes a really good design manager is somebody that's good at building a community. You have to be able to make sure that your team feels like a team. They feel like they in, they're involved and they belong. You have to be really good about creating this really inclusive community with your design team where they can feel like their voice is being heard. They have a say in the direction the team's going. If there are issues, they can express those, whether it's with you or with another teammate or with the opportunities that they have at the company. And so it's all these things that have nothing to do about building interfaces. Mm -hmm. uh, it's all, all the messy people things mm -hmm. that you have to deal with. Super interesting. I, I love how you, you know, sort of uh, differentiate the uh, two sides. Yeah. Maybe we can talk a little bit about, you know, you know now it sense you're more in a management position. How do you use design on a daily basis or like in the work you are doing as innovation strategy lead? I guess it's more design as a, as a methodology, right? right? Maybe you can outline that a little bit, like, uh, you know, I, because you're coming from a graphic design background where you're saying like, it was more about the craft right well, like now it's more about the methodology right so i want a little bit about that connection and the skills you you build because it's, i mean you managing is one side of your work but you still have to you know wrap your head around like the problems you you, you as a team try to solve right and you know coming up with the right questions and answers and steering the conversation right so right right and then that's that's a really good point well, one of the things that i've noticed especially the last year and a half the role that i have at ui is is fairly specialized so I work in their innovation group. We call it WaveSpace. So EY, and I didn't notice when they when they were talking to me, I thought there was an accounting firm. I had no idea they had a, a digital team that they were growing and investing in. And as part of that investment, they've started building out these innovation hubs around the world. So we, we've built about 20 or so. We're building another one here in Charlotte or over in Charlotte. And part of the role is 
to create this, this environment or to craft these experiences so we can bring in clients with all kinds of different problems and challenges and apply a design framework to help them understand what those challenges are, who those challenges affect, why those challenges affect specific groups of people, whether those are internal employees, whether it's leadership, whether it's customers, and then help them quickly ideate around how can we potentially solve some of those challenges? How can we disrupt in the industry? How can we be truly innovative? And it's not, we're going to launch a mobile app, that there's nothing really innovative about that. But how can they be truly innovative and, and sidestep their competition or really change their culture or make big shifts in their business model to deal with, you know, a startup, for example, that's chipping away at their, their revenue or their, their customer base, and then help them turn those ideas into something much more tangible, something that they can prototype, so that they can test. And when I talk about prototypes, it's not just we're going to do paper prototyping or put something in like Axure or Envision or what we typically think prototyping is as a designer. Because you can't really prototype a business model that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how do we help them prototype some of these these bigger business challenges that they have, test some of that, and then put together these much more comprehensive, complex roadmaps that affect the entirety of the business or specific units or lines of businesses that they have. So it's very different, but we apply the design methodology to do that. So we we leverage variation of the design thinking methodology. It's a modified version of of the Stanford D School method. So the the end result is we want to, to take their challenges, we want to help them frame those well, we want them to, to narrow those down into specific problems they think they want to try and solve. And then we bring them into our innovation space and then help them ideate through various solutions. Some could be absolutely terrible, but there may be a handful that that have some value in, in moving forward. So we run those through another funnel to figure out which specific solutions they that they feel are valuable we want to try and move forward. And then we have an innovation as a service framework that allows us to quickly take each of those individual solutions, build those out much further, validate those. We're building a usability lab in our space in Charlotte so we can bring actual customers in for testing. So Mm -hmm. full one-way mirror, the whole thing. Mm -hmm. The goal is we want to be able to validate the assumptions that we're making, the design decisions that we're making when it comes to like a business model or how we're managing an HR function or how we're trying to change a finance function or how we're trying to activate an innovation group within another company and make sure that we have a pretty good idea that out of these three or five solutions, there may be two we want to carry forward. We, we present the business case back to the client and then they can basically go, go or no go. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to invest more time and more money in one or two of these solutions and then carry them forward which is a lot of fun. It, it's way different than what I've done from a, a focus uh, over the past 15, 20 years where it's been yeah. mostly digital products. Now we're building products and services and business models that are much more robust, much more much more expansive. And, and we leverage the design method to really try and push our clients forward. Mm-hmm. Super interesting. So since you, you know, work on like a project that you know, have acquired a big scope and you have a uh, design background, I want a little bit which are the, the major disciplines you, you you look for when it comes to, you know, solving some of the questions which are like high in demand, right? Mm-hmm. And it feels like when you were pointing out a little bit of the process, it feels like service design 
must be some kind of part of the process. It is. So I assume the service designers or you know, people with service design capabilities in the team that you know you need in order to solve these problems, you know, on, on that kind of level. So I'm just wondering, you know, what kind of disciplines in demand for you, you know, to solve or you see getting more and more important you know, to solve some of the problems. Yeah, it's it's a mix. And I think the industry's changing a little bit where just a graphic design degree is not quite enough. We never really got to the point where there were web design specific degrees, which is interesting, awkward, unfortunate, maybe. So we're starting to see more of a need in, in people that have studied behavioral economics is one. Data science is a big one that's coming up. All these companies now, every company now is essentially a digital company. Mm-hmm. And they're collecting all of this data. They have no idea what to do with it. So, so data science is, is becoming big, a yeah. big part of what we're trying to work with now. I, I still enjoy people that have gone through like a more traditional liberal, liberal arts background. That there are some HCI programs that are okay. And then information science is a good degree program. A lot of what we do is is take a lot of disparate data, trying to take all this information and then organize it in some logical fashion. So that's very helpful. People that that understand the business side of things is, is very useful from a core skill set standpoint, specifically for a consultancy. We need people that are okay standing in front of bunch of people in suits Mm -hmm. uh, in a lot of situations being comfortable standing in front of an audience giving a presentation a theater major actually makes a pretty good consultant because they do that all the time they're always in front of an audience Mm -hmm. so i've talked to a a wide mix of folks that that have either come from a theater background or liberal arts or like industrial design Mm -hmm. uh, because they learned the design methodology but they just apply it to physical products Mm -hmm. exactly People that, that think that way, that question everything, that, that aren't afraid to stand in front of people and, and make bold statements around what we think should be happening or calling out things that we should be doing this because of these reasons, be able to quantify those are, are things that are important. And it has, it has less and less to do with, can I make a pretty picture? Can I make a pretty interface and put it on dribble? It's important to a certain degree but the ability to to question and to push and to take people that have very different backgrounds and bring them together to try and craft these holistic experiences, whether it's digital or not, those are the types of skills that that uh, we're seeing are immensely valuable in the work that we're doing. I think you already touched on that a little bit, but you know, one of the last you know, questions I would love to that you know, maybe can you know, outline a little bit. What would be your advice for people who want to get into design or you know, maybe some of the things you see in design getting more and more important you know, moving forward and you know, people should really consider to you know, make part of their education? A couple of things, I think. If you're looking to get into design, two, two answers to that, I think. One is if you're, if you're graduating a high school or a college and, and wanting to go into a university or you're just graduating the university and wanting to get into design, like you're getting your first design job straight out of uni. One of the most important things you can do is track down a local design organization, whether it's AIGA or IXDA or UXPA or or a local UX or design meetup that that hopefully exists in your area if it doesn't start one. (laughs) Uh, Because you'll you'll want community as you're getting started. And, And I think that applies to somebody that may be transitioning careers. Maybe they've worked in an industry for 10, 15 years and they want to try to move into more of a design or a UX field. The community part plays such an important part of, of being able to build a network 
make connections and and find that job. The most difficult thing that even in Charlotte that that people have is that they just graduate university or they've gone through a, a boot camp or something and they're trying to get their first job. It's really hard. It's really really hard. The, the, the typical way people do this is they'll go to a job site or they'll go through a recruiter or they'll just find a website, a company's website and apply online and they'll send out 100 resumes maybe. They might get 10 interviews maybe if they're lucky. It's kind of a black hole if the company doesn't know you and you don't have connections at the company and you're just blindly applying. You should still do it because that's part of of really honing your resume, honing your cover letter, honing your pitch on on why you think a company should hire you. So you want to get that practice in. It's disheartening because you're going to get a lot of no's and a whole lot more of nothing. The, The easiest way to break into the industry outside of doing the work and, and building the skill set is building the connection. So finding your community or creating your community, because what happens is you either meet people on the design teams or you meet the hiring managers or you meet somebody that knows somebody that's hiring and they'll essentially take your resume and slide it across somebody's desk. And it'll at least get you an interview. Getting the job is up to you, but getting the interview is the hardest part. Mm-hmm. Now, well, once you interview, getting the job is relatively easy. Second thing that I think is important there, or, or a second thing that I think you can do, is that there is nothing wrong with with trolling LinkedIn and finding design teams and design managers and designers in the area that you don't know at all and sending them a message and just being, hey, I'm a new designer. I've either just graduated university or a boot camp, and I'm trying to meet other people in the area. Can I take you out for coffee sometime? It's really rare that somebody's going to tell you no. I feel like designers in general want to be helpful. And if somebody Most reaches... Introverts, usually. Yeah, yeah. Like if somebody is coming to me and going, hey, can I take you to coffee? I'm an introvert. It makes it way easier. Like, yeah. Like I can manage a 30 to 45 minute conversation without getting all anxious about trying to, to, to manage a lengthy relationship. It's a very simple thing to do. Mm-hmm. But that'll get your foot in the door potentially. They may go, you know what? We're hiring in my company. Why don't I introduce you to my manager? Or I have a friend that's hiring. Let me introduce you there. So the networking aspect is really important. doesn't matter if you're graduating from university or making a career shift. That'll be the easiest way to get a job without tearing all your hair out. You had a second question that has already escaped my mind. I think you were exactly touching on. Okay. And, uh, I mean, what you could, you know, if you want to just add to this, you know, Generally speaking, topics that are you know, on the uh, on the no horizon. You know, I mean, in, as an innovation and strategy, you sort of need to look a little bit out there, right? What's, what's sure, next, sure. Right? So, a lot of buzzwords. Uh, a lot of buzzwords, right? So, but maybe it's something you really believe in that really is going to change design. People should really should consider. Sure, sure. So I think maybe you can you can just leave it to one 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 topic. I think there may be a few. So one topic, I guess, that you're gonna you're gonna hear a lot of buzzwords about stuff. Before I think user centered design was the thing. Maybe ten years ago, like you gotta make sure that you're you're user focused on everything that you do. And it, they're not wrong. It's definitely true. And then design thinking's been making its round the last I don't know, three or four years. Like everything's got to be design thinking. There was, uh, I, I worked for a company and, you know, it was probably four years in of, of building the team and having the work going. And we used a very user-centered design process. And, and my boss came to me one day as like, hey, I, I read more about this design thinking thing. 
maybe we should be doing that for our clients. <laughs> and, and I had to clarify that we, we are. We've been doing that since I've been here. Yeah. Like everything that we do is essentially design thinking. Design thinking is really just the reframing of user-centered design. Service design is, isn't that much different. It's really a reframing of user-centered design and design thinking, but doing it for like an omni-channel experience more than anything else. Uh-huh. Uh, so you're going to hear all those things. That There are some really great books that talk about all of them. It's fine to read them all. But the most important thing today as a designer is just understanding the design process, understanding the give and the take of how much research can you do versus your budget and your time and what, what your, your stakeholders want you to do. But the ultimate goal is like you, you need to build something that somebody wants to use, something that's going to provide value to your company. Some of the things on the horizon that I think are really interesting for me personally is the use of, of data to tell better stories. Mm-hmm. In every space that I think we come across, people are starting to collect more and more data. We're not telling very good stories of that data. We're not leveraging that data to help us make better decisions. Mm-hmm. So being able to take that data, some more buzzwords, but leverage artificial intelligence and machine learning and robotics process automation to to mine the data and and turn that into something that we can gain insight from is going to be immensely helpful in order for us to make better real-time design decisions on what we're trying to do. Mm -hmm. I know Google's trying to do some of this stuff where They'll do multivariate testing and then they'll automate that on, I think there was a, a story with Doug Bowman, I think was his name, uh, where he talked about Google testing, I think 50 different shades of blue and then choosing the one that converted the, the highest. I don't think that's necessarily wrong, but I think you still need a human validating some of those decisions. Mm-hmm. Uh, but being able to augment our abilities with that data and some of these new automation technologies that are coming out will help us make better design decisions faster. Right now, the the biggest challenge that we have is if we want to make a change to a system or a part of a system, we have to do all of this work, get something to the point that we can test, and then wait for a number of months or weeks or months to get enough data to know whether or not we, 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 we created the right solution. If there are better ways to leverage automated, like generative design, and then automate some of that using a human to validate and to create this framework and then get faster real-time data or real-ish time mm-hmm. to make better micro-adjustments to an experience, I think the better off we'll be as designers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, awesome. I, I love the, the perspective you bring in here. I think that's super, yeah, super interesting. Maybe we can wrap it up with, you know, last question because, you know, we happen to right. be at UX India here, right? So what is uh, exciting to you when it comes to India and um, design? And Ooh. maybe it could be some of the learnings you, you saw, you, you had here at the conference. Yeah. Well, one of the, the things that I enjoy the most is, is seeing communities come together. UX India has been a great experience just to see so many folks coming from different parts of, of the country and talk about UX. So I, I was in, I was leading the, the, the design leadership workshop. And one of the things that I noticed is that we had a wide range of managers. Folks that had just been blessed to be a manager. Uh, so they've been managing team maybe less than six months and just were trying to wrap their head around what does it actually mean to, to lead and manage a design team. And then we had a few folks that had been a manager for 10 or so more years. And there's a lot of value in 
and the diversity of experience in those types of situations where I guess the, the, the veterans could provide some context around some of the situational things that they come across to folks that were new to the field or to, to a leadership role. And what happened yesterday in the workshop is people had a lot of questions and comments and I didn't have to answer them all. There was a lot of really great knowledge in the room that they could share with each other. And that's why I appreciate these types of conferences where you can bring people together from different walks of life, different backgrounds, different experience levels, and they can help each other learn and grow and provide some really nice contextual knowledge share that they can then take back to their job, back to their teams, back to their day-to-day -day and be more effective. Yeah, lovely. Thank you so much for sharing this. Thanks for having me. It's been, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, thanks. That was the episode. If you want to give us feedback on the podcast, have something to contribute to the next episode, or just want to get in touch, feel free to connect with us either on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram messages, or simply via the designdrives.org website. We love to hear from you.